0: You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. for small groups, 10 a.m. for worship, or anytime at asburybosier.org. We continue our series uh, this week on Unlectionary, a series of stories that are not found on the normal, regular Sunday morning scripture readings. And it's because sometimes the stories are strange, sometimes the stories are difficult to interpret, and today's story does not disappoint. Today's story comes from the book of Numbers, the 22nd chapter, starting with verse 22. It's, in, uh, it's on the screens, it's online, and it's in your Bible or your Bible app. We're about to talk about a talking donkey. So here we go. Are you ready for this? God's anger was kindled... Oops see. Yes, good. There we go. So God's anger was kindled because Balaam was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on either side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck it again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you in this way? And Balaam said, no, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed down, falling to his face. The angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? I have come out as an adversary because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If it had not turned away from me, surely I would by now have killed you and let it live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, therefore, if it is displeasing to you, I will return home. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you to speak. So Balaam went on with the officials of Balak. (laughs) This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So um, in fourth and fifth grade, I had found great success in the science fair. Both of my parents, one has roots in biology, uh, the other parent has uh, roots in chemistry. So I've always done quite well with science fair experiments. So going into my sixth grade year, I was mm, smug. And I didn't pay much attention. Like, you know, they're just handing out first places and it's going to be great. I did this, uh, uh, I compared and contrasted the effectiveness of household cleaners using Petri dishes because my mom worked in a lab and she had access to Petri dishes. So I felt very like CSI before like CSI was a thing. Felt very cool. My sister, Melanie, was in the fourth grade at the time. And she was excited to do her science fair experiment. And she was going to do the, uh, how the temperature affects electrical current. And I thought, oh, how cute, how precious. And yet what you're seeing here on the top, my sister is the third from the left. Uh, Those who are watching online can see this more clearly. The folks pictured on top were those who won first place. Those pictured on the bottom, as if you could see me on the right side, a full foot taller than everyone uh, in eighth grade. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's second place. So for the first time in the history of ever, little sis beat big brother. The roles had reversed. The angels in heaven were shocked. The, the, The student had become the teacher, the Padawan, the master. It just turned everything on its head. My little sister winning first place. And that started a long succession of role reversals in our life, which then begs the question of how many times does there have to be a role reversal because, but before the roles are actually reversed? or finally realize like, oh, Melanie's going to be more successful than me. Okay, cool, cool, got it, got it, got it. Role reversals. We have, we have this fantastic story here today of a biblical role reversal. Now, this story of Balaam's talking donkey, and I'm not saying that my sister's a talking donkey. Let me say that out loud before I go any further, before the, the, the metaphor is taken too far, because uh, she will see this online. We have this fantastic story of, of role reversal here. Now, this story is not in the, the lectionary. In the lectionary, it's a three year cycle. Of scriptures uh, that we can choose from on Sunday mornings that help us follow the heartbeat of the church across the planet. This story is not there, and maybe you can see why this story isn't there. It's kind of strange, it's kind of bozo. So, what do, what do we do with this story? Now, last week we talked about Elisha, uh, and there were a group of boys that made fun of him for being bald, and he called she bears out of the woods. And the she-bears mauled the children. What do we do do with that? Other than saying, like, don't make fun of bald people, they're going to get you, right? We have to to suffer every day looking the way we do, so give us a break, right? What do we do with this story? Well, one, okay, you you can start by saying what the rabbis said. Many of them said neither bears nor forest, which is their way of saying, ah, we know it's in there, it really didn't happen. Instead of moving it out of the text, we just move on with it. We just move on. You could also have like option number two. Option number two is reading it at face value like Walter Brueggemann does. Walter Brueggemann says like, hey, don't stand opposed to God's prophets. That's what this story is about. It doesn't matter if you're a boy playing in the woods or a king of a nation. Don't stand opposed to God's word or God's prophets. And then there's this third approach, which is diving in deeper, unpacking it, flipping it over, maybe, maybe looking at it with some nuance and recognizing that this story also talks about how Elijah is, Elisha is very new with this power, and, and maybe, maybe he's still learning how to be a prophet. And maybe that's the sermon for all of us, that we are human and we are messy, and we don't always get it right. And maybe that's the same for Elisha. He's inherited this new power from Elijah and maybe maybe isn't using it the way that God wants him to. As good United Methodists, we read Scripture through the lenses of tradition, reason, and experience. Uh, And I would also add to that um, resurrection. So we read through tradition, reason, and experience, and also resurrection. It's a good rule of thumb that if this story doesn't bring me closer into communion with Christ, then maybe I need to read it again. Maybe it's going to take me harder to find the good news. So we also read through tradition, reason, and experience. We talked about that last week. We also read through eyes of resurrection. So sometimes the good news is hidden indeed. So I have a suggestion, how we can understand this story. And of course, my interpretation is correct. So we're moving on to, I'm kidding, that's a, that's a joke. A bad one. So what's, what's going on in this story? Let me edit that, if we had another, story, I'll just edit that out of the podcast, thank you. So what's going on in the story? The ancient Israelites have set up shop next door to Moab, and the Moabite king, Balak, is nervous. He knows the ancient Israelites are powerful, they have left Egypt, and he's right next door to them. So he sends for Balaam, who is not an ancient Israelite. He is living uh, off of the, uh, between the Tigris and the Euphrates, east of where they are. But whoever Balaam blesses is blessed, and whoever Balaam curses is cursed. So Balak hedges his bets and calls Balaam. And he calls him specifically to say, hey, I need you to curse these people So I can be victorious. So he sends people out to go and meet with Balaam. They say, hey, man, uh, the king wants you to curse these people uh, so that he can win. And Balaam says, let me um, me go talk to God about it. (laughs) And let me get back with you. So he has this conversation with God. And God says, don't go. Don't go. So Balaam says, sorry, guys. I called up the Lord. He says, I can't go. So they go back home. The next time, they send even more important people to see Balaam, and they bring a lot more money. He's not stupid. He brings more money, more powerful people, and says, hey, we really, really want you to curse these people. And Balaam said, look, I already told you I can't—wait, how much silver did you bring? <laughs> right? So Balaam says, okay, let me, uh, let me go talk to my manager and see what kind of deal we can, we can get. Right? So he goes back to God says, hey, hey, yo, hey, uh, they're bringing a lot of stuff. What do you say, Lord? And the Lord says, okay, okay, you can go. You can go with them, but tell them only what I tell you. So Balaam goes back and says, deal. Here we go. So he packs up his stuff, gets on his donkey, and he sets out with the men. But then the scripture says that God was angry with this. God's anger was kindled against Balaam. And the scripture doesn't tell us exactly why that is. We can assume it's because Balaam is going not with the intent to be the mouthpiece of the Lord, but he is going because the silver is great, the people are powerful, and he sees an opportunity. Case in point, he's going on this way. And there's an angel who's standing in the middle of the roadway with a flaming sword, and Balaam doesn't see it. How is he supposed to communicate the word of God if he can't even see this? But you know who does? The donkey does. And that is to be embarrassing. Embarrassing. So they're going along, this great prophet of God who blesses those who are blessed and curses those who are cursed is going on the way. He can't see this angel in the the roadway, this Satan, this hasatan, this adversary, that's where we get that word, an adversary, someone who stands opposed to you. That's when Jesus, when he met with Peter and uh, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. It's not that Peter had horns and a pitchfork. Peter was standing opposed to the mission. So there's this adversary in the road, and the donkey says, well, I'm not going that way. <laughs> so the donkey starts moving. So Balaam, yeah, like whips the donkey to get it back on the straight and narrow. They keep walking. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord again with the flaming sword, tries to go the other way for a second time. Yeah, you know, and Balaam strikes him again. Third time, the donkey's like, well, there's no way around this. You know what? I'm going to sit down. I'm done. And the donkey like lays down. And Balaam says, if I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. What are you doing? And then, and then the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, oh my God, a donkey is talking to me. No, he doesn't say that. I do chuckle when I read this story, like, Balaam, do you not know, like, where in the scripture should it say, like, oh my gosh, this has never happened before, a donkey is talking to me. No, Balaam is, it's, and I don't know if this, like, this Kristoff and Sven thing that they have, like in Frozen, where they're, like, super close, and, like, maybe, maybe the donkey's talked before, like, I don't know, or, like, maybe they sing duets or something, I don't know. There's no acknowledgement at all that the donkey is talking, but Balaam says... Because you have made a fool of me. You've made a fool of me, he says to him. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all of your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And here's where the prophetic fervor happens. Remember, at the beginning of this story, it says God's anger was kindled against Balaam. And now it says Balaam's anger was kindled against the donkey. And Balaam whipped the tar out of this donkey and threatened to kill it. And the donkey says, I've never treated you like this. And then guess who appears? Balaam's eyes were opened and he sees the angel wielding a sword. He goes... You're treating the donkey this way because the donkey's not doing what you want him to do. Should I treat you this way, Balaam? And there's this moment of immediate humility. You know, it's kind of like a sixth grade science fair where you just go in and like, you don't care, you're in it, you're in it to win it just for yourself and then your sister outdoes you very publicly and you feel ashamed at least for the moment. So what should we do with, with this story? Is this a neither bears nor forest moment where we say, ah, it's a talking donkey, like we know it's there. We don't take it out of scripture, but we, we're pretty certain it didn't happen. We just we move on. We just move on with our life. Or is this a story where we should say, hey, if God gives you a job to do, you should do that. Read the story for what it is. Do what God is calling you to do. Or could there be something even more beautiful at work in this story? In seminary, I had three different field ed placements. My first field ed placement was a church called Myers Park United Methodist. Huge church, 6,000 people in Charlotte, North Carolina. Remember the, the city Charlotte, my, my, my pastoral prayer that I didn't say city Charlotte. It was a slip of the tongue. Remember that story? That happened in Charlotte. Beautiful church, amazing. It was great. It was bigger than life and loved it. Great programmatic ministry. Um, my second placement was with the Duke Chapel, like on campus, this huge Gothic cathedral in the middle of campus, and the the worship was fine and refined and beautiful, and the choir sang in Latin every week, and it was just gorgeous. So I remember going into the field ed office for my third placement. I was like, what you got? What you got for me? She goes, oh, Mr. Rawl, we have something perfect for you. You know, It was hard to get into the office, by the way. I was like, kind of lean in, you know, because I've been to these really big, fantastic churches. But when we have something for you, and they said, hey, you're gonna serve at Carr, United Methodist in downtown Durham. I said, great, let's check it out. And I got there, first Sunday, 35 in membership. All white congregation in a black neighborhood. They prided themselves on their mission their one mission of the year. It wasn't as cool as pumpkins. It wasn't like uh, uh, a trunk or treat. It wasn't like Katie build. What they did is they put eggs out on the lawn the day before Easter, and then they went inside and let all the kids from the neighborhood come and clean up the yard, and then they would go out and, and finish. Like, that was their mission. So I had this moment. What, what, what? What am am I doing here, right? A congregation of 35, they don't understand the mission of the church. So one of my last Sundays there, we were serving communion. It was July, the first Sunday of the month. We were serving communion, and uh, as as I do, the bread, the juice, and, and at the end, I served myself, and when I drank the juice, it was disgusting. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I just served expired juice to the entire congregation, right? It's kind of like that that one time in college ministry when I mistakenly got onion loaf pita, and like no one was brave enough to tell me (laughs) until after the service. So as I'm greeting people in the back of the narthex, I kept telling them like I'm so sorry, like I'm so sorry that I served you expired juice, like that's embarrassing, and no one knew what I was talking about. I mean, they looked confused. So I went back and I cleaned up communion, and I took another swig of, of the juice, and it was perfectly fine. And it was one of those moments where I think, I think God made me pause, and for a moment, I tasted my own bitterness. I was so bitter. Angry and stupid that even communion burned on the way down. What do we do with a story like this? Balaam goes and he heard the Lord and he gave four different oracles all of which blessed God's people. This is the second oracle. I want you to hear this. God is not a human being that he should lie, O mortal, that he should change his mind. He has promised and will he not do it? He has spoken and will he not fulfill it? See, I received a command to bless and he has blessed and I can't revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord God is with them, acclaimed as a king among them. God who brings them up out of Egypt is like the horns of a wild ox for them. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, see what God has done. And here's the thing. This very ending of Balaam's second oracle says this. Look, A people rising up like a lioness and rousing itself like a lion. It does not lie down until it has eaten the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, there's a difficult teaching from Jesus. He is there with the Pharisees, and he's talking about himself as the bread from heaven. And this upsets them. It says, The Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Is this not Jesus? Isn't this Joseph's boy? Whose father and mother we know? How can he say I've come down from heaven? Jesus said to them, Do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. This language of eating flesh and blood, of bread and wine, this language is very, very rare. In scripture, which suggests that Jesus is alluding to this second oracle of Balaam, where Jesus is saying, one, just because I'm from Nazareth, and yes, you know my parents, yes, I've been born to a poor family, just because you see me as a beast of burden doesn't mean that I cannot be the mouthpiece of God. Secondly, this reveals not that Jesus is a king or a lord or who will Pharisee above them. But Jesus is talking about his body and his blood being consumed. He equates himself with the slain. Feasting on me will cause you to rise up on the last day. Here's Balaam's oracle again. He says, look, a people are rising up like a lioness and rousing itself like a lion. It does not lie down. It does not find peace until it eats the prey, and drinks the blood of the slain. The rising in Jesus' case is not a call to arms, but a call to humility, through which we find everlasting life. It is a rising rooted in blessing and nonviolence. It's not about vanquishing an enemy as much as it is recognizing that they never had any power over you to begin with. Scripture says that people left the movement after this teaching in the gospel because the teaching was hard. It was hard. And it still is hard. It's difficult to believe that a just peace is more powerful than war, that loving your enemy has any role to play in our salvation. It's hard. The conflict between Balak And Balaam, the conflict between Moab and Israel, living next door to each other, is not new. I cannot begin to understand the complexity of the animosity between Israel and Palestine. There have been moments of great peace. And there have been moments when the world intervenes and it causes a mess I do think a story like the story we have heard today urges us to consider that before we take out a stick and start whipping a donkey, we might consider that there's something right in front of us that we are missing. Like Balaam, maybe our own greed is more powerful than we want to admit, and we can become blind to what God is calling us to do. I do know that friend or enemy, we should grieve when life is lost. We should constantly be working to establish a world where servicemen and women are never deployed and never have to say goodbye to their families. So, I urge you to join me in prayer during this very tense time. as we carefully listen as we check our sources and as we keep watch and maybe these strange unlectionary sources and stories it might be more valuable than we thought in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen let us pray